Hello and welcome, Crypt Keepers. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 13 of Cryptique. I'm joined, as always, by my homie with a coffin fetish, Ryan. What's up? <laughs> uh, not a lot. I wasn't totally prepared for that line. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Good. I know it's not really a fetish. I just had to throw it in there. No, I just, man, someday, someday I will sleep in like an air-conditioned coffin and it would be glorious. There was a, uh, I might have mentioned it before, in Moonlight, there was this TV show on like CBS or ABC or whatever back in the early 2000s mm-hmm. that had Alex O'Laughlin, who's I think been famous for Hawaii Five-0, you know, for the last however many years. Okay. But he, that was the first thing I saw him in and he played a vampire in L.A., and that was just one of the things about their version of vampires. Mm-hmm. It's like they like to sleep in the cold. Mm-hmm. So he had like this special freezer he slept in. And it's like, man, that there's certain nights where that like last night it was hot and nasty. I got home at like 3 a.m. and it was still just ugh, out. I guess uh, we'll save up and get you an air conditioned coffin then. Yeah. If any of the <laughs> listeners want to chip in, just let <laughs> we'll us get know. It. We'll get a Patreon or an Indiegogo or whatever. <laughs> Go fund me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so you guys know the drill. Just uh, subscribe, tell a friend, and email case suggestions to crypticpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about his coffin fetish. But anyway, what are we talking about tonight? Tonight we are talking about amputation, fetishism, and other strange fetishes. At kinklovers.com, where I would suggest a DuckDuckGo search if you're going to visit the site, in the early 20th century, there was a sharp increase in the number of people openly seeking to have one or more of their healthy limbs surgically removed from their bodies. It's not a dramatic new weight loss program, but rather a disorder where a person is tormented by the overwhelming desire to have one or more of their limbs amputated. It is known as Body Integrity Identity Disorder, or BIID, or amputee identity disorder, and it involves an urge so powerful that it leads many sufferers to damage the offending limbs beyond repair in order to bring about amputation. Individuals who have this bizarre condition typically refer to themselves as amputee wannabes. Now, is that something they really want to refer to themselves as? Uh, Yeah, that's what's reported. I I don't... I I think maybe it's kind of a uh, joke in the yeah. community and not yeah. a, an actual thing that they want to be identified as. Right. They don't want that on like a name tag at a convention right. probably. <laughs> yes. Sufferers of BIID often complain that they do not feel whole while in possession of the limbs in question. Which is odd. I mean, to, to f- remove, to feel whole is not something that we typically i mean when you you learn math in school you learn that if you take something away from something that's complete it's no longer complete or it's less than so it's weird an amputee wannabe has a very fixed idea of which limb is unwanted and what level of amputation will make them a whole person and the only um the only thing I can compare this to for me that can that that I can kind of you know get into that headspace mm-hmm. is there are certain it's usually technology. It's like when I realize that there's some setting on on a phone or computer or TV or whatever 
So there are times where I realize that I've left something plugged in or, you know, just something that I've been messing with. And I, I'm like, oh man, I have to, I have to put that back. I have to plug that thing back into that other thing or remove this piece that I know is not doing any good. It's hard to understand. It really yeah, is. But and I do feel for people that have this quote unquote disorder, but are we on the way to it not being a disorder anymore and just being a sort of sexual preference or mm. I don't know. I don't know. The most commonly expressed desire is to have a leg removed above the knee. But sometimes the person is looking to rid themselves of an arm, a leg below the knee, or sometimes multiple limbs. The disorder usually includes feelings of intense jealousy at the sight of an amputee. An individual stricken with BIID will commonly rehearse the amputated state in private and in public by pretending that the limb is not present, sometimes binding the arm or leg so it cannot be easily moved. Some even design and fabricate prostheses to allow themselves to appear to have the amputation they desire. Since there are very few surgeons willing to separate a person from his or her healthy limbs, some sufferers of body integrity identity disorder go so far as to destroy the limbs in question so that amputation becomes the only option. Wood chipper. Yeah, that's really extreme. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering, I don't know, man. That's a lot of pain to go through, I would assume. Yeah. I mean, they're very dedicated. Right. There are reports of individuals freezing the unwanted arm or leg with dry ice or creating a wound and deliberately infecting it. And that's super dangerous because I do know an elderly neighbor that I used to have who died from essentially an infection in his foot. Mm -hmm. He was uh, diabetic. Yeah. And he got this sore on his foot and it got infected and they did, they did have to amputate, but eventually, you know, it just... It can still spread. Right, right. Yeah, even when you get rid of that limb, sometimes that infection, it's just too... It's spread too far. Mm -hmm. Some have even used more extreme measures, such as shooting one's own leg with a shotgun, cutting off a limb with a chainsaw or homemade guillotine, or allowing the limb to be run over by a train. Wow. Yeah. Whew. And imagine being the, uh, like, conductor Yeah. for that train. Well, yeah, you would see somebody laying. I mean, essentially, it would look like they're laying on the tracks, yeah. even if it's just a leg sticking out or an arm. And the danger of doing something like that is death, right? I mean, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you're willing to risk death, it's, I don't know, it's crazy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's extreme, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's... I'm not even going to go on about it. Well, it's just so so hard to understand. I mean, I feel for the people that have this disorder, but it is it's hard to understand for someone who doesn't have that disorder, I guess. So, mm. yeah, it's hard to understand that level of commitment to it. Yeah. An ordinary person who must have a limb amputated due to injury or infection is typically emotionally devastated by the lost. But astonishingly, individuals with BIID who successfully banish the unwelcome limbs describe feelings of completeness and enablement after amputation and rarely express regret even after many months. 
Some theorize that BIID is an extreme demonstration of Munchausen syndrome, a condition where the sufferer feigns or creates symptoms of illnesses in himself or herself to gain attention, sympathy, and comfort. The role of patient is a familiar and comforting one, and it fills a psychological need in people with Munchausen's. BIID seems to have a similar pathology where the subject seeks special attention given to the disabled. Many people with this disorder also exhibit acrotomophilia, which is a strong sexual attraction to amputees. Considering this, along with the strong jealousy towards amputees and the complaints of not feeling whole, it seems that sufferers of BIID don't want to lose a limb so much as they want to gain an amputation. That's an interesting way of yeah, uh, reframing it. Yeah. Most amputee wannabes describe feelings of shame and unworthiness, and a keen awareness that their ambition to abandon perfectly healthy limbs is bizarre. People with this condition gain little help from psychiatric or psychological therapy, and any treatment merely helps to control the desire rather than to abolish it. So this sounds almost like um, obsessive-compulsive. Mm-hmm. People with that are aware that they have it. Right. They're aware that, like, oh, other people don't feel the need to do the thing that I feel the need to do. Right. Flip the light switch ten times or turn the water on and off, that sort of thing. Yeah, or the most, like, honestly, the most um, probably accessible example for most people is Sheldon in Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. He has a compulsion to knock a certain number of times. Hmm. I I don't watch that show a ton, but I've seen some episodes, and there's even one where he's, you know, he's trying to go see some girl, and he knocks, like, once. Mm -hmm. And then the girl opens the door, and she's like, oh, you... You didn't do your your knocking ritual, so I wouldn't know it was you, and I would actually open the door. Mm-hmm. And then when he leaves, he like does the knock on like a table in the hallway a couple times, and he's like, "Oh my god, oh okay, tables work. That's good to know." <laughs> I see. So it's I don't think it's exactly the same thing, but yeah, there's parallels. Yeah, in that it's a desire you have that you're aware is not shared by everyone. Mm-hmm. And being aware that it's unusual is not helpful. <laughs> True. Yeah. 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 That's a that's a, a great point. That that has to be, I guess, part of the scenario is that they are aware that it's it's considered odd and dangerous. And I guess that mm. has to be. I don't know. Does that have to be part of the uh, scenario or picture for this to be considered? B-I-I-D? I don't know. It is not a well-understood disorder, and there is no known effective treatment aside from giving the subject the amputation they desire. A surgeon in Scotland named Robert Smith, which is not a particularly Scottish-sounding name, I was hoping for something a little bit better, <laughs> <laughs> has amputated the legs of two otherwise healthy people who were suffering from B-I-I-D, but after some negative publicity, the procedure was effectively banned by the National Health Service in the U.K., and he became groundskeeper Willie over here. He <laughs> kicked him out. <laughs> right. But if nearly all sufferers of body integrity identity disorder report feeling much happier and more complete after the removal of a limb, and there is no other effective treatment, is it necessarily a bad thing to allow them what they desire? And I, this is something I've... Um, I mean, it's not about this, mm-hmm. but just like a general sort of philosophy on what people do... Mm -hmm. If it, I mean, essentially, if it, 
if it doesn't hurt anybody else and it doesn't bother me, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Like what people do doesn't really matter that much. Like, is it hurting society to allow mm-hmm. them to do this? Probably not. You know, we already have accommodations for presumably whatever kind of amputation they would have. They're not going to be too much worse off. Yeah. Right. There are going to be escalators, elevators, you know, um, like handicap entrances that are going to have lower curbs, like whatever automatic doors, any, you know, whatever it is you feel like you have to have removed. Mm-hmm. There are some accommodations to help you function just normally, you know, just, just as normally as you did before mm-hmm. without that limb. Yeah. I think that the problem comes in with the inherent dangers of any surgery and going under anesthesia which is always a risk right like doctors trying to avoid surgery at all costs if Mm -hmm. it's going to be something where they have to be put completely under just because of the chances and it's a lot different in 2022 than it was in 1982 because we have better technology we have surgeons that are specializing in amputating limbs that that's really one of the only things they do and it's so much safer than it used to be but the problem comes in I think with some doctors with the Hippocratic Oath and Mm. that they are only going to treat people that need help and I think that when you have a mental disorder, it separates. The problem is not the limb. The problem is in the mind. And Mm. if like, you know, if you can't treat the mind, do you decide, okay, well, then let's treat the body. And they do that with a lot of things. But I think, again, just the inherent danger of something like this is what is going to cause doctors and you know decision makers as far as what uh, policies are in place for allowing certain types of procedures now we have people that go in for breast implants I, I mean it's completely blown up right I mean for lack of a better term <laughs> everywhere you look there's fake titties right yeah, uh, people are getting fake butts. People are getting chin implants. I mean, is that so much different? I mean, you're going under the anesthesia and under the knife for something that you don't need. So it's you know a little. I, I think it's on the same level as as plastic surgery. Um, if you have a big nose and they remove part of your I don't know, part of your cartilage or shave it down. I don't know what they do, but but something is removed a lot of times. So even though you're not amputating a completely healthy limb, you are in effect amputating parts of a body that are healthy. They're just undesirable to the person who has them. I would think that it's different going back to your original point about the Hippocratic Oath mm-hmm. that it it introduces much greater risk mm-hmm. 
I mean, a, a purely cosmetic or aesthetic operation carries some risk, but it's not the same as removing an entire limb. Sure. Like, my fiance has had a blood clot from mm-hmm. having a surgery on her knee that, you know, was meant to fix a tendon issue that originated from a, a soccer injury back in high school. Wow. And, y- you know, you can just imagine the things that could arise from what's really an unnecessary amputation. The other thing is, I, w- I wonder if there's uh, possibly almost a, a moral thing, if you look at it from a, sure. like a philosophical point of view, that are, is there a limited capacity to perform operations like this? Mm-hmm. And if so, is there somebody who needs it who won't be able to get it because somebody with this condition wants it for, you know, for the, for their own sort of peace of mind, mm-hmm. right? They'll feel whole if they have it, but maybe another person, you know, got their arm run over by a train or, you know, they fell into a wood chipper or, or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Now, I was just reading a story about an Indian girl who lost, basically lost her arms from the elbow down on both sides. And I I think it was an electrocution uh, incident, you know, where her her hands were just fried and her um, forearms and they actually did a limb um, transplant. So this girl got two, you know, healthy forearms. I, I, I was just reading the story. I didn't get a chance to get through it all the way, but um, I wonder if at some point this will be considered an organ donation type deal where, hey, you've got a healthy, you know, leg and this soldier lost his leg in right. like a donor you know, Iraq. Yeah. So that's very interesting. That's probably a decent solution, actually. I, I mean, that would at least it would be something that would be positive right. for someone right. else, and it may be enough to justify an amputation of a healthy limb. Right. Yeah. It it not only is something you want to do that doesn't hurt me. Mm-hmm. You're benefiting somebody. Right. Although then will you create like a market for that kind of thing? Right? Like, are you going to have like black market arms? Well, everybody's going to be running around with Chinese limbs. I mean, oh my God. I I mean, if they're, uh, if they're organ harvesting, then why wouldn't they be limb harvesting harvesting as well? I mean, if you're going to harvest parts of healthy humans, wouldn't you, take as many possible parts as you can to sell for a profit. Yeah. I, I want to make it clear to the listener that I have no idea what it's like to suffer from BIID. I don't take it lightly. I don't think that the people are quote unquote crazy that have this disorder. Uh, by the same token, obviously, I don't know what it's like to lose a limb you know, uh, through accident or injury or, you know, in battle. But I sympathize with that person. I, I, I try to put myself in that position to think about what it's like, but I just 
feel like there's no way you can know until you're actually in that situation. Right, which is why you said crazy earlier. Right. When we were talking about the the lengths people go to to damage a limb. Mm -hmm. It's not, you weren't, I assumed you were not saying it's like crazy and unreasonable. It's unfathomable. Yes. To feel that alienated by part of your body. Yeah. And to, to be that committed to getting rid of it. And I think that everybody out there can relate as in like, oh, I, I don't like my nose. I, I'm not going to get plastic surgery, but I wish it looked different. Or, mm. you know, I wish that uh, my calves were big and getting calf implants, you know, because that is a thing, <laughs> believe mm -hmm. it or not. But, um, yeah, it, it's not that the person is like bonkers crazy. It's that it is, yeah, unfathomable to me to be in that position. So I definitely feel for these people, right? Yeah. So there are, a, as in, you know, it's, it's brought up in the uh, abortion issues that people are going to get abortions whether they're legal or not, so we may as well make them legal. And that's a topic for a different show, but that is one of the, I, I guess, talking points that pro-choice people have. And we kind of run into that situation, I think, with this amputee fetish and fetish is kind of a catch phrase that you know was a an interesting title for the show more than that these people are just like a fetish is something that isn't so deeply rooted but i could be wrong i mean we'll talk about some fetishes and stuff in a little bit but I want to talk about a case where someone with this amputee dream or uh, BIID went through and what happened. So like we talked about, there are few surgeons who are willing to remove a perfectly healthy limb. Uh, John Ronald Brown was an American surgeon who was convicted of second-degree murder after the death of a 79-year-old patient in his care. By the early 1970s, Brown was conducting gender-affirming surgery on transgender patients at a small clinic he set up in San Francisco. He would later claim to have performed 600 surgeries during his career. Most of his patients were trans women who were too poor to afford the fees of reputable surgeons. Others were former patients of the university-based units at Stanford University and Johns Hopkins Hospital that offered transgender treatment during the 1960s. Only a small minority of patients met their exceptionally strict criteria for gender-affirming surgery. For instance, Johns Hopkins only approved surgery for 24 out of the first 2,000 people who approached them with the request. Brown, by contrast, freely admitted that he was willing to operate on anybody who would pay him. So it's like a back alley amputation clinic, really. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's like a purely capitalistic surgeon. Yes, yeah. Without the Hippocratic the, Oath means nothing right. to this person. Or very little. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, uh, you know, see it as unnecessarily uh, 
creating risk mm-hmm. or harm. His lack of formal surgical qualification made it necessary for him to carry out gender-affirming procedures in his office on an outpatient basis rather than in a fully equipped surgical theater. He also operated on patients in motel rooms and his own garage. In 1977, following the death of one patient and a lawsuit from another, Brown's medical license was revoked by the California Board of Medical Quality Assurance for, quote, gross negligence, incompetence, and practicing unprofessional medicine in a manner which involved moral depravity or wickedness. So, he was also charged with allowing patients to work as unqualified medical assistants, allegedly as barter for their own subsequent surgery, failing to hospitalize a patient who had developed a life-threatening infection and making false claims on medical insurance forms. Brown continued to practice medicine outside of California, but was successively barred from practicing in Hawaii, Alaska, and the island of St. Lucia. During the 1980s, Brown began soliciting and advertising surgical services in the USA while performing the surgical procedures in Mexico, Tijuana, I believe, specifically, where nothing good happens. Hmm. In 1986, an article in the magazine Forum reported on his procedure for surgically increasing penis length. So, I don't know. I, I think if that was successful, this man would be a multi-billionaire probably building a penis-shaped rocket to shoot into space, right? Like, like Jeff Bezos. Right. So I, I think there is a surgery for that. Wow. I, I saw something on TV along, like a late-night thing where they were talking about, you know, a certain portion of that structure is inside your body and there's a procedure that can, like, pull, like basically pull more of it outside, wow. which I would assume is a structural problem. Huh. You know, I would assume if like half of the, you know, the structure that makes it behave the way it does <laughs> is inside the body, then it probably needs to be inside the body. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't be like, oh, well, the foundations of this building are are a hundred feet deep. We can just pull that up and make the building taller. It's like no, that those foundations are probably there for a reason. Absolutely. And there's probably a reason why I haven't seen. Well, there are probably a lot of reasons why I haven't seen another. You know like late night infomercial thing come on like that (laughs) or i haven't gotten a thousand spam emails about it yeah well i mean they're getting they're getting crowded out by wish ads for like crack pipes and dildos yeah (laughs) (laughs) the forum article and an inside edition television documentary made several years later entitled the worst doctor in america both portrayed brown as an incompetent an inept surgeon. So in 1990, Brown spent 19 months in prison for practicing medicine without a license. The charge came after Brown operated on a 30-year-old transgender woman from Orange County, California. After leaving prison, Brown worked as a taxi driver for a year before establishing himself in medical practice. On May 9, 1998, Brown performed a leg amputation on Philip Bondi, a 79-year-old retired satellite engineer from New York in Tijuana, Mexico. Bondi was one of the rare individuals suffering from BIID, a desire to have a healthy limb amputated. Very few reputable surgeons are willing to treat this order by carrying out such an amputation due to its direct violation of the Hippocratic Oath. So there you go. Yeah. 
The morning after the surgery, Bondi was found dead in a National City, California hotel room by Dr. Greg M. Firth, a New York child psychologist and fellow BIID sufferer who had traveled with Bondi to Mexico after being denied a potomnophilic surgery in the UK. Though they both wanted their legs amputated, Firth had backed out of surgery with Brown at the last moment after seeing an assistant carrying a large knife. Oh no. <laughs> Could you imagine? I mean, when you walk into a dentist's office and you're getting like a root canal or something, you look down at the tray and there's like a fucking hammer and a drill <laughs> and a butcher knife and like a meat cleaver and some like a ratchet set and some plot and it's like oh my god are we in 2022 or are we in 1922 because right. the items just look so barbaric but okay since i have to do movie references <sighs> you remember the 1989 batman right mm-hmm. remember after jack napier was tossed into the chemicals he's in that like back alley like basement doctor's office yes and it's like all nasty and there's like one swinging light bulb and the guy just has like this tray covered in bloody tools like mm -hmm. that's what i'm imagining this guy working out of yeah I, I mean i have actually seen a tv portrayal i can't remember what it was but yeah they they probably hollywooded it up a little bit Mm. But yeah, they they had like it, it, I mean it looked like uh, it made my mechanics bay look like an operating room. Yeah, basically, <laughs> like a like a clean room. Uh huh. So an autopsy showed Bondi had died of gas gangrene. That sounds awful. Mm -hmm. A police search of Brown's home, a ground floor unit in a San Ysidro apartment building revealed blood-soaked towels, sheets, mattresses, as well as anesthetizing drugs, surgical instruments, and hundreds of tubes of superglue. Mm. Now, I know that there is a superglue type agent that you can use to, uh, you know, seal cuts, but I have tried it. And I will tell you that whatever it's made of, which is probably similar to super glue, is excruciating when it gets in the actual cut. Uh, right. I think they call it like liquid band-aid or something, but I don't know. But super glue, really? Police also discovered videotapes of Brown's operations. If you're going to be a criminal, which this guy is, don't record yourself. I, I, right. I don't know. Brown was prosecuted in California for second-degree murder, an unusually severe charge in medical cases. A surgeon who was a witness for the prosecution testified that Brown had not left a large enough skin flap to properly cover the bone and stump. Just saying. The flap was stretched too tightly to allow adequate blood flow, and the tissue in the flap died, allowing an infection of clostridium perfinogens in producing gangrene. To make the murder charges stick, the prosecution had to establish that Brown had a history of incompetence and recklessness, which obviously he did. A number of transgender women gave testimony of their experiences of Brown's treatment and subsequent medical history. However, he continued to have some supporters amongst former patients even after his arrest. Brown was convicted by unanimous decision and sentenced to 15 years to life in prison. 
He died on the evening of May 16, 2010, two months before his 88th birthday. So, I mean, that's that's a long time in prison for someone who was not trying to hurt somebody. Now, incompetence, ineptitude, uh, those are words used to describe uh, Brown, but was he intentionally trying to hurt this person? I think obviously not. And in my opinion, he should have been charged with whatever he could be uh, as far as, you know, medical malpractice or something like that. But I think murder was a little harsh or something like that. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I keep going back to the fact that this guy is performing this surgery when nobody else will. Yeah. And there are clearly patients seeking it and people who are grateful for it. Yeah. You know, regardless of how he's portrayed, I'm sure I'm sure he didn't perform 600 surgeries because he scanned 600 people. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this it's it's hard to say without knowing like the real details of it yeah and i just wanted to bring this case up because it it was interesting and it kind of illustrates i i guess the options that people with biid have as far as getting that limb removed that they want removed so yeah After a quick break, we'll give you the shocking A to Z on Philias. Hey, my name is Ryan. And I'm pretty sure I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Movie Hell, a podcast all about movies and pop culture. We're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Howl is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy, and if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie Howl on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated. There's something going on here. Something evil. Do you love true crime? Can't get enough? You need to check out Exploring Evil, the true crime podcast that covers lesser-known and international serial killers, bizarre murders, and murders with a paranormal twist. Did you know there was a serial killer who only killed murderers and pedophiles? The real-life Dexter is covered in a recent episode of Exploring Evil. You can find Exploring Evil on your favorite podcast platform. Behold, Behold, the mystery of the cosmos. The system is alive! Welcome back to Cryptique. So we're going to talk A to Z of paraphilias. Uh, We're going to do our best to pronounce the paraphilia and we'll talk about its focus of erotic interest. 
Uh, if you can think of something, no matter how disgusting it is, there's somebody who's into it. So, and there's a name for it. And there's a name for it. So, abasiophilia is a fetish for people with impaired mobility. So, uh, people that are amputees, people that are in wheelchairs, people that you know are so overweight that they can't get out of bed and stuff like that. There's people that are attracted to that. And I think a lot of uh, info out there is that they have the desire either to dominate somebody or to kind of mother somebody, for lack of a better mm. term. Yeah. Acrotomophilia is a fetish for people with amputations. Agalmatophilia is an attraction to statues, mannequins, and immobility. Hmm. So like the the silver cowboy guy from Times Square or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think there's one in New Orleans too. Yeah. Andromimetophilia is an attraction to trans men. Aniligania attraction is an attraction from young men to older women. So you can see that some of these are a little bit more tame and there are philia names for things that we consider normal like men that are attracted to women with big breasts we don't think of that as like if you have a philia attached to something it's kind of a negative connotation but right. it's not it, there and there's definitely some that are dangerous and strange but there's also some that are you know fairly mainstream so right they're they're more of a preference than anything else mm -hmm. yeah um anthropophagolagnia is the uh fetish for raping and then cannibalizing another person um gross yeah anthropophagy is the fetish for ingesting human flesh apotomnophilia is being an amputee asphyxiophilia is being asphyxiated or strangled and we see that a lot uh you know autoerotic asphyxiation and that's i, I mean that's very dangerous because we hear right. about people dying from you know essentially hanging themselves to reach their you know desired climax um there is an attraction to people with disabilities so I work with adults with developmental disabilities and the numbers are staggering. It's like 80% are sexually abused at some point in their life. Uh, I think mostly because they, a lot of them anyway, can't communicate that they've been, you know, touched inappropriately or whatever. So. An attraction to people with disabilities is dangerous for people with disabilities. Do you agree? Yes. All right. We talked about autoerotic asphyxiation, which is self-induced asphyxiation, sometimes to the point of near unconsciousness and sometimes to the point of making a mistake and killing yourself. Autogynephilia is a sexual arousal of a biological male in response to the image of themselves as a female. All right. That is uh, super specific. 
It is. There's some very specific ones in here. Autoandrophilia is a sexual arousal of a biological female in response to the image of themselves as a male. Autonepiophilia is the image is the fetish for the image of oneself in the form of an infant, which yeah. to me can also it seems like it would go hand in hand with pedophilia, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, autopedophilia is being attracted to the image of oneself in the form of a child, not an infant, presumably a prepubescent child. Autoplushophilia is the attraction or the fetish to see the image of oneself in the form of a plush. Nice. As in like a beanie baby kind of plush? I'm assuming, yes. So, I don't know. Interesting. Uh, I notice on the uh, movie how cover art you kind of have your guys's images as a uh what are the the funko kind of yeah like almost like a funko pop yeah it's a very simplified cartoony image Mm -hmm. auto vampirism or vampirism is being attracted or turned on i guess by the image of oneself in the form of a vampire and involves ingesting or seeing one's own blood auto zoophilia is the attraction or fetish of the image of oneself in the form of an animal okay uh biastophilia or raptophilia raping a person possibly consensual rape fantasy so this is one of those ones where it's kind of more of a if it's consensual then it's just more of a you know preference true you know just a thing you want to play at Mm mm-hmm but biastophilia, actually raping a person and being turned on by that is right. extremely dangerous. Right, right. And it's odd that they're together like that. Yeah, it, it is because they're totally different things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, being turned on by uh, wearing a diaper is a lot different than being attracted to infants. So it kind of right. goes along the same line. But anyway, go ahead. Capnologna. Uh, smoking. An attraction to smoking. Which is, is fairly common. I, yeah. I think, I think um, it has to be the right conditions. Because mm-hmm. I was talking to uh, somebody at work. And we were talking about smoking and, and we were talking about like why sometimes in movies like it just looks so good. Yeah. And it's like it's because a well-dressed person in like a wingback leather chair, you know, pulling a cigarette out of like a silver case looks very different from like somebody bundled up trying not to freeze to death outside of a 7-Eleven in January. Yeah. Because they're just hooked on it and they can't do it anywhere else. Like one is like a classy, you know, just thing that yeah. they're doing to relax. The other is seen as like, oh, you're just an addict. Yeah, disgusting habit. I, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's the way it's the same thing, but it's the way it's presented. One is seen as classy. One is seen as, you know, like you said, a, a bad habit. Yeah. Coprophilia. Or an attraction to feces, also known as scat or scatophilia. 
Uh, diaper fetishism. <laughs> He's just going to skip that. An oh. attraction to... Uh, <laughs> what? You're going to skip Miltormeophilia? That's my joke. Scat. Miltormeophilia? <laughs> yes, I was going to skip that. All right, that's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> nah, leave leave this in, though, when you edit. I will. Uh, yeah, diaper fetishism, uh, an attraction to diapers, considerable overlap with paraphilic infantilism. Uh, dendrophilia. Trees. Tree huggers. Yeah, like tree humpers, though, man. Mm hmm. <laughs> uh, we had somebody come in the other day who was talking about getting a job at the bar. Mm-hmm. She was like, Oh, I work at this place. And she's like, But I'm not. She's like, I, I'm not opposed to job humping. And she was talking to me and my bartender. And I was uh-huh. like, What? She was like, I mean, I mean, job hopping. She'd been, you know, she, it's a bar. She'd drink. Okay. And she was like, oh, no, I didn't. She's like, that's really embarrassing. And I was like, all right, well, if you're into job humping, he's the owner. If you're into yeah. job hopping, I'm the owner. Nice. <laughs> Amidophilia, or an attraction to vomit. Gross. Aproctophilia, or an attraction to flatulence. That's, that is to say, farting. Yes. Erotophonophilia, which is a sexual arousal due to murder, often of strangers, also known as... Dacnalognomania. And we're going to do an episode uh, where we will talk about things that are being turned into sexual preferences. And it worries me because often murderers ejaculate at the act of killing someone right so that makes it sexual so when does murder become a sexual preference right all right but we'll talk about that on the red shoes episode right go ahead exhibitionism or exposing one's genitals to unsuspecting and non-consenting others so somebody flashing you and getting off on that yeah but i also think that there's like you know, public displays of affection that people get off on. And it's not necessarily yeah. like, hey, look at my penis. It's like you want to be in a sexual act with others watching you, like almost a reverse voyeurism type thing. Right, right, right. Feederism, eating, feeding, and weight gain. Yeah, Hansel and Gretelism. <laughs> And that's a joke you should have put in. <laughs> uh, formicophilia, being crawled on by insects. That's another oddly specific one. Yes. That's a feeling I do not like. <laughs> like my hair is getting too long right now. My my stubble, I need to shave my head again because it like it moves now. There's enough stubble that it moves and it feels like there's like something crawling on me sometimes. Gross. Formicophilia. Uh, Fornophilia, turning a human being into a piece of furniture. So I've seen stuff like this, not in like a serious way, but I've seen it as like a joke, like videos that make fun of like BDSM kind of stuff where like the woman will like sit on a dude who's, you know, on his hands and knees like a bench. Oh, I see. I I almost wonder if that's what it is or if it's literally like, Ted, you are now a lamp. Go stand yeah. in that corner, put that lampshade on your head, like 
Well, we saw a lot of Fornophilia and Beauty and the Beast, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Fraudurism. Rubbing against a non-consenting person. So somebody who really likes being on like subway trains. Yeah. Which, I mean, technically is, you know, a sexual assault if you're doing it with a sexual uh, motivation. Like, right. Gerontophilia, or an attraction to elderly people. Ugh. Here we go. All right. Gynandromorphophilia. Ooh. Or gynamimetophilia, an attraction to transgender women. And that was one shot. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it sounded like I was having a stroke saying them, but boom. I'm pretty proud. Yeah. <laughs> it's boom worthy. <laughs> Hematologna, uh, an attraction to drinking or looking at blood, so kind of similar to the vampirism one earlier. Hoplophilia, or an attraction to firearms or guns, which is odd. I wonder if it's an attraction to them or an, an attraction or an arousal brought on by them. That may that may warrant more research. Hybristophilia. An attraction to criminals, particularly those who committed cruel or outrageous crimes. Infantophilia. Okay, so actually going back to the last one, that might be something like a Harley Quinn, you know, or these groupies that you see in certain comic books or movies where they're like super into the villain who has no redeeming qualities about them. All right. So infantophilia, pedophilia with a focus on children less than five years old, a recently suggested term that is not yet in general use. Clismophilia, enemas, arousal and enjoyment in receiving, administering or both. A lactophilia, lactophilia, an attraction to breast milk. Liquidophilia, immersing one's genitals in liquids. Macrophilia, uh, an attraction to giant beings or the imagined growth of beings. Mascalognia, an attraction to armpits. <laughs> yeah. Masophilia, so this is like what you mentioned earlier, an attraction to female breasts, which is pretty typical. I mean, I don't feel like there's, you know, it's whatever. That's not unusual in any way. No. Uh, masochism, suffering or humiliation, being beaten, bound, or otherwise abused. So this is a, an unusual one and one that's hard to wrap your head around for a lot of people, but it's also one of those isms that's been around for a long time. That most, I would, I would say this is probably more familiar to listeners than most on this list. And I think that this is one where it, there is a lot of consensual... BDSM. Mm -hmm. There's also serial killers who, you know, are masochists and get off on abusing their abductees. But I think more or less, you know, if there's two consenting adults, then what's the big deal? Masiophilia uh, or an attraction to pregnant women. Also not that odd. I feel like I've seen that on a lot of TV shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, mechanophilia, cars or other machines, also called mechophilia. So we had guns earlier. This is cars. And again, I have the same question as to whether or not this is an attraction to the cars or an arousal brought about by them. Yeah. Like, I mean, every like, calendar. Do you want to have sex 
in the car or do you want to have sex with the car? Right. And it, it is something that's really, really ingrained in our society as far as, hey, uh, we're going to make, you know, a, a calendar with all these beautiful women. Well, we're also going to put a, you know, a model on a 64 Mustang convertible. And then we're going to put one on a 22 Challenger Hellcat. And then we're going to have one on a motorcycle. You know, it mm-hmm. kind of um, trains your mind to associate the two, I think. Right. All right. Menophilia or an attraction to menstruation. Microphilia. Uh, shrunken beings or the imagined shrinking of beings. So we had one earlier that was giant beings. Now I have shrunken. Mm-hmm. Mucophilia or an attraction to mucus. Mysophilia or an attraction to dirtiness or soiled or decayed things. So there's actually um, a book that I read a couple of years ago called, uh, it was a James Bond book. I think it was called Carte Blanche. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously not an Ian Fleming one. It's one of the newer ones. And the villain in it is like obsessed with decay mm-hmm. and like the breaking down of things. And there's usually, you know, a sympathetic woman who's mm-hmm. with the villain. Mm-hmm. And in this one, she's like, she's upset because like the guy is like always wants to like look at her and like see her age and like notice new things like wrinkles and Hmm. whatever like and it's like very upsetting to her and he gets off on like looking at pictures of things decaying and breaking down and whatever else um so i wonder if that's intentionally or not a you know some sort of fictionalized representation of this in particular this uh mysophilia yeah All right, moving on to N, neuratophilia or obscene words. And I don't know if that's necessarily an attraction brought on by obscene words or just the thought that the person who's using the obscene words is kind of a rebel or, you know, a a tough guy. A bad boy. Yeah. Uh, Not to be confused with neurotophilia, which would be an attraction to wearing weird headbands and running with your arms straight out behind you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. Good one. All right. Nasophilia for noses. And, you know, I I think that this can be broken down a little bit too, because I I think that, you know, people are attracted to certain types of noses um, more than others. Like some people might see someone with a big Roman nose and find that, attractive and then some people might see someone with you know a little tiny baby nose and find that unattractive um i don't know if it's just like hey i just love all noses (laughs) like you know they sit alone at home and jerk off the pictures of you know somebody's nose Uh, it could be Uh, like barbara streisand (laughs) right uh so kind of going along with the mesophilia i think necrophilia kind of dovetails nicely i guess because it's an attraction to corpses and it's often described as the act of sexual 
gratification. Yeah, with with a corpse, um, it, it's often just described as the act of you know having intercourse or some sort of sexual contact with the corpse. So, objectophilia, an attraction to specific inanimate objects. Oculophilia. Eyes and activities directly relating to and or involving the eyes, but voyeurism does not is not included in this. So voyeurism we'll get into, but it's basically just watching people, um, either you know in a sexual situation or whatever situation you're attracted to, I guess. Odaxalagnia, biting or being bitten, and I I think that you know. Some people are into that. I, I, I think that there's levels, you know, of like, hey, biting my ear is kind of sexy, but like taking a chunk out of my butt cheek is not acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, olfactophilia. Smells and odors emanating from the body, especially the sexual areas like breath, urine, feces, flatulence, etc. Omarashi. Arousal from having a full bladder and her wetting oneself or from seeing someone else experience a full bladder and or wetting themselves. There is, uh, I don't know if it's an industry or what you would call it, but oh, man. you know I'm that. I'm so excited to hear what you're going to say. <laughs> so uh, people want to pass drug tests, right? So oh. they want clean urine. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it is illegal to sell clean urine based on using it to pass a drug test. But it is not illegal to sell clean urine if it's marketed as fetish urine. So if you were to go to, I'm assuming they would have it at like head shops and stuff like that or, you know, porn stores or whatever. But if you go in and say, I want clean urine to pass a drug test, nope, can't help you. But if you say, I want clean urine to spray myself in the face with, they're like, we've got just what you need. Oh, my God. I'm thinking one of those like <laughs> aisle three, those, those like fan mister things that people take to baseball <laughs> games. Just Oh, my God. That's uh, horrific. It is. All right. Moving on. Paraphilic infantilism. Dressing or being treated like a baby, also known as adult baby syndrome. Considerable overlap with diaper fetishism. Um, I have been in contact with somebody with this fetish, and I'm trying to get him to appear on the show, obviously with the condition of anonymity. But I, I am interested in this and would like to hear some more about it. So maybe that's something in our future. Yeah. Partialism, specific non-genital body parts. And, you know, that can go to like, I think a lot of women, unbeknownst to me when I was younger, are into calves. They like dudes with like big, strong calves. Um, Obviously, uh, you know, people are going to like six-pack abs. They're going to like, you know, big pecs or whatever. So it's a, a sexual attraction to non-sexual body parts i guess yeah or like a characteristic about somebody's body uh pedophilia which we know about and we're going to discuss on a different episode is attraction in fantasizing and again i think continuing into the act of 
sexual acts with prepubescent children. So pedophilia would not be if a 19-year-old boy or man is dating a 16-year-old girl. That wouldn't be considered pedophilia. Pedophilia would be prepubescent. So I think that's generally, you know, 12, 13 and under. Right. Uh, Podophilia is an attraction to feet. We know that there's a lot of people that have a foot fetish out there. I, I don't understand, but, you know, whatever, to each their own. I think that could also be considered partialism because it's a, you know, attraction to a non genital or sexual body part. Pictophilia is an obsession or attraction to pornography or erotic art, particularly pictures. So I guess that could go from, you know, any type of pornography up to, you know, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Peekerism. The piercing of flesh of another person, most commonly by stabbing or cutting the body with sharp objects. And that's something that we've covered on Exploring Evil, where people actually uh, ejaculate from stabbing people. So that's another really scary one. Yeah. Uh, Plushophilia. Stuffed (laughs) toys, animals, or plushies. Uh, I don't know if this would include uh what do they call them furries yeah like the, I, I wouldn't think so the attraction to uh, mascots yeah <laughs> like a stereotypical dude wants to go to hooters mm-hmm. with their buddies like these guys want to go to like build a bear yeah <laughs> right i guess so i mean no 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 judgment no shame just sure i mean it makes sense i mean that's the first thing i thought of plushies like so we yeah. took my daughter to Build-A-Bear for one of her, her birthday parties, and it's all, like, 16-year-old girls that work there. You know, they're they're just – it's a good role for them. You know, they talk to the kids, and they, you know, right. get them into it and stuff like that. But could you imagine being, like, a 16-year-old girl, and they're like, okay, you're next in line at Build-A-Bear, and then it's, like, it's five like big dudes man. that are, yeah. you know – like oh yeah all just breathing heavy (laughs) (laughs) right uh and then we have pygophilia or pigophilia which is an attraction to buttocks which i think is also very common pretty pretty typical all right so sexual sadism is inflicting pain on others which if consensual is you know your thing whatever but that can also translate into serial killers or just killers in general that enjoy inflicting pain on their victims. So you either have a participant in this uh, fetish or a victim. And any of these fetishes which can have victims are scary. So right. shoe fetishism, uh, you know, an attraction to shoes. I think there's probably a lot of guys out there and, um, you know, this might be part of the reason why girls like to wear stilettos, you know, not, you know, aside from the fact that it kind of changes their leg shape and makes them look taller. Uh, there's a lot of people that are into shoes and there's actually a killer that, um, kept shoes. That, that was his thing. That was his trophy. So 
somnophilia, sleeping or unconscious people could also be dangerous. If you are uh, a participant and you're pretending to be asleep for this person who has this philia or fetish, that's one thing. But if you are uh, touching unsuspecting sleeping people, then that's awful. Uh, this is a hard one. Zenolagnia, an attraction to muscle and displays of strength, which I think is also fairly common. Um, right. I, I think that probably a majority of women would prefer their men to be muscular. And then obviously there are men that are attracted to extremely muscular women, you know, bodybuilders and whatnot. Right. I don't know. Do you remember China? Yes. From WWE? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there are a lot of guys into like super buff women. <laughs> sure. Uh, let's see. Stigmatophilia, an attraction to body piercings and tattoos. I think that's fairly common too. Symorphophilia or the witnessing or staging disasters such as car accidents. That mm. is also very dangerous. Yeah, that's like a Bond villain yeah. level thing too. Telephone scatologia or obscene phone calls, particularly to strangers, also known as telephonicophilia, telephonicophilia and scatophilia. You sounded mildly Italian. <laughs> I tried. With one of your attempts. Uh, and, you know, we see this often where, you know, people get obscene phone calls with people breathing or, you know, saying obscene things like uh, the Golden State Killer used to do. You know, he would attack his victims. He would tie them up. Uh, I can't. I, and then he would get off on calling back to the house, you know, days and weeks after and terrorizing his victims. So, hmm. you know, there's, it's one thing if you like phone sex and another thing, if you get off on terrorizing other people. Right. So what do we have for teas? Teratophilia or an attraction to deformed or monstrous people. They're not my definition. The term is also sometimes used in a more literal sense from the ancient Greek terrorist meaning monster for attraction to monstrous mythical and fictional creatures such as werewolves. And that's probably more common than what you might think. I mean, so I used to manage an FYE store which sold CDs, DVDs, video games, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we actually sold hentai which is essentially cartoon pornography and half of it was you know tentacles and uh, minotaurs and you know things like that so there's there's definitely uh, a market out there for it and I can tell you from experience that the people that came in and bought these things looked exactly like the people you would think would come in and buy these things <laughs> Yeah, and now we have things like Twilight. Yeah. That kind of... Um, although the characters in those movies are almost never monstrous. Right, right. I'm going to say toucherism. Yeah. Because originally I was going to read that as toucherism. <laughs> where it's like, you know, 
an attraction to witty comebacks, but no. <laughs> it's, it's too uh, it's too sheen and unsuspecting. <laughs> yeah, an unsuspecting, non-consenting person with the hand, specifically. Uh, transvestic fetishism, or wearing clothes associated with the opposite sex, also known as transvestism. And I think that's fairly common out right. there, too. Yeah. Trichophilia, or an attraction to hair. So in this one, um, it, it, it was just listed trichophilia attraction to hair so that could be a tom Selleck chest it Mm. could be a tom Selleck mustache or it could be someone who is attracted to blondes or redheads or just particularly women with like really thick long hair so i think there is a lot of uh categories out there for that one but Right, definitely. Troyalism. Observing one's partner engaged in sexual activities with another person, or what we nowadays call a cuck, I think. Yeah. I think that's the term. And there are people out there that are into that, even though it seems strange to me. But, I mean, there's people that are into swinging, too, so I guess that can kind of go along with it. Mm-hmm. Eurolognia. Urination, particularly in public, on others, and or being urinated on. Also referred to as water sports. (laughs) And I have accidentally been linked to the water sports subreddit before, not Uh, not knowing what it was. Like, they just throw out this, like, hey, check this out. Like, oh, water sports. What's the... Oh, God. I love jet skis. Oh, Right. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, it is a Reddit link, so there's an element of risk here, but I never even imagined... That that's what water sports <laughs> went to. Uh, voyeurism, watching others while naked or having sex, generally without their knowledge. Which is peeping. And right. uh, as I've discussed on the other podcast several, several times, voyeurism, while it's not part of the holy trinity of serial killers, is common as a precursor to committing other crimes so there's an element of danger here uh, both for the person who's getting off on possibly being caught watching someone and then that translating later into you know you need to take it a step further so you're not just watching you're breaking in and then Mm, you know you're participating right all right wet and messy fetishism so an arousal in messy situations, including, but not limited to, being pied, slimed, or covered in mud. So these people would have loved to be on Nickelodeon <laughs> in the late 90s. Yes. <sighs> and we see mud wrestling and, like, oil wrestling and stuff like that. And I don't know, like, what, I guess mud wrestling isn't a big thing anymore. But, like, you know, in the 80s and 90s, it kind of seemed like, oh, mud wrestling was a thing. And... I never took into consideration that people that were watching it could be actually attracted to the mud aspect more than the, you know, mostly naked female touching each other aspect. Yeah. Zoophilia, or an attraction to animals. Gross. Or zoosadism, inflicting pain on animals or seeing animals in pain. This is another 
dangerous one. Yes, this is part of the holy trinity of serial killers inflicting pain on animals, especially as a young person. If you are feeling this or you know somebody who is feeling this, it is imperative to try and seek help for something like that, as with a lot of these things. And it doesn't make you an awful person. Um, it, it means that there's help for you out there. Right. Most of these are harmless. Yeah. Wanting to wear the clothes of the other gender. I mean, not, I, I think that's something literally everybody does at some point in their lives. Everybody plays at, like, you know, pretending to be a man or a woman or whatever. Yeah, I don't think it's as uh, uncommon as what we Every, might think. And it's usually, yeah. you know, as a young child. But. Yeah, but I mean, I think I've told you before, I and maybe we mentioned it on here, like when we've talked about, you know, transgender and all these labels that have to be put on things now, mm-hmm. you know, there was a guy I knew in high school who just one day showed up wearing high heels. Mm-hmm. Like he was wearing like a Grateful Dead t-shirt, jeans, and heels. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey man, what's going on? And he's like, ah, I'm just trying stuff. And it's like, all right. And I don't, rec- I really don't recall anybody saying anything about it after that. Like, oh, he just—that's just what he does now. Every once in a while, he just, you know, or he'll wear like a woman's woman's top, or he'll do whatever. And it's yeah. like, just something he was doing. Yeah, and I think sometimes in you know, especially in like you said, did you say high school? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times I think people are just looking for shock value too, like, or they're looking for attention. Hey, look at me. I'm wearing high heels today. Everybody ask me about it. Everybody look at me. Well, and it's a natural thing to just be like, oh, I wonder what this is like. You know, I think there's a lot of stuff that probably you and I did as kids that kids don't do today where you're like, oh, I'm going to hang out with the girls today and see what that's like. Like, oh, I don't like this aspect of that. Right. I'm going to hang out with the boys next time or I'm going to hang out with this group. Maybe I'm into anime. Maybe I'm into video games. Sure. You know, there, there are a lot of things you can do to explore. Pl- yeah, to play and to play at something and to try to kind of figure out your identity. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think it's probably you know, it's a younger person's thing to put all these labels on stuff. Yeah. To say I'm a this and I'm a that and to be like really well defined like that. I met a girl a while ago who, um, what's the term? She is cisgendered. So she identifies as the gender she physically is, Mm -hmm. but she still was saying that she prefers the pronouns they, them. (laughs) And I asked why. Mm -hmm. And she said, because there are too many labels or something like that. She's like, I don't like there being labels on everything. (laughs) Yes, that's the person that puts labels on everything. Right. I was like, so you're, I just want to make sure that I'm being clear. You are a female who identifies as a female who is attracted to men and you want to add more labels to yourself Mm -hmm. as an act of defiance to there being so many labels on things now. Yeah. I mean, there are just so many labels for things that just used to be a preference. Right. Used to be like, oh, I just sometimes I like to wear lady shoes. I don't know. There's even an episode of uh, the IT crowd where the boss, like, he's he's talking to one of the employees and he they're he's talking about like his confidence. Mm-hmm. And he's like, do you know where I get these confidence? That you know this this level of confidence? And they're like, what? Where? And he's like, women slacks. And they're like, what? And he stands up and he like puts his leg up on the desk and he's like, 
women's slacks. And he's just talking about like, they're so flexible and supportive and, and it just gives him this confident feeling. It's like, I mean, yeah, like whatever, do what you got, do what you want to do. It, it reminds me of the episode on the office where Michael is wearing a women's suit. And they're like, that's a women's suit. And he's like, no, it's not. It's so luxurious and soft on the inside. And they're like, there's no pockets. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's really all I've got on uh, these these fetishes. If you're experiencing some of the ones that we've uh, kind of described as dangerous, please seek help for it. Um, it. it you don't have to put a label on everything. We just kind of brought forth these fetishes or, or whatever you want to call them, philias, because we thought it would be kind of fun and, and interesting to, you know, look at these. And this is by no means a comprehensive list. It's kind of just a, you know, scratching the surface. Because like I said, if you can think of something, no matter how disgusting gross or whatever there's somebody jerking off to it out there right now or or how normcore it is there's going to be a term for it mm -hmm. like being attracted to butts yeah right like that, that you know i know there's a specific term for an attraction or, or like a near worship of women with large butts sure i can't remember what it's called but i saw it i think it's kardashianism <laughs> <laughs> That's probably pretty close. It's it's one of those interchangeable ones. Yeah. It's bop slash Kardashianism. <laughs> Kardashophilia. I don't know. Well, that's all we've got for you on fetishes. We apologize for the pronunciations, but we had a good time. As long as you're consenting adults, I really don't see a problem with the acting out of the fetish itself. But I wonder if there's not a lot of trauma and mental illness that contribute to some of these. You know, not all of them, not every single one, but definitely some. Because we see that, you know, people, young people that are sexually abused tend to turn into abusers. So mm -hmm. if there is a lot of unhealthiness in what we've discussed and you know there's definitely some i guess for lack of a better term gateway philias to you know move on from hey i enjoy a fake rape scenario with you know my wife or my girlfriend or whatever turning into i'm just going to take what i want right or I, or it's not doing it for me anymore yeah, got to let's up the stakes. Right, right, right. It's got to escalate. Uh, but when it comes to children, we must draw the line. They're not fetishes. They're a danger to our children and our future. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Crypticpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out Movie Howl and Exploring Evil. Subscribe and have pleasant dreams.